0: This is Indian Art History by MASH Podcast. Hello and welcome. You're listening to MASH Podcast and I am your host, Ayushi. Between 1336 and 1646 AD, the Deccan Plateau south of river Tungubhadra was being governed by the Vijayanagara Empire. Their capital was situated in present-day Hampi, a name derived from an indigenous goddess Pampa. In some legends, she is also Parvati and Sati. Hampi is situated south of Tungubhadra River in Karnataka. In contemporary Hampi, two sides of the river host two varieties of living. One side of the river is being lived in and visited by Israeli hippies and hippies of all sorts, while on the other side, the remains of medieval structures, frescoes and sculptures flourish. However, temples are on all sides of the river. There are remains of at least 1,600 surviving monuments. Vijayanagara deserves a hoot actually, for they were holding feet as one of the few prosperous medieval Hindu polities. that and they were actually able to resist the waves of attacks from the neighbouring Hindu and Muslim rulers. People often use the words such as great, imperial and magnificent when describing the Vijayanagara empire. Hampi always had its distinct culture brewing in contrast to the rest of India. There was a Portuguese horse trader, Domingo Pace, who visited Hampi at that time and he wrote about Hampi in a letter to a Portuguese historian. In the letter he says, The size of this city I do not write here, because it cannot all be seen from any one spot. But I climbed a hill, most likely the Matanga hill, whence I could see a great part of it. I could not see it all because it lies between several ranges of hills. What I saw from thence seemed to be as large as Rome and very beautiful to the side. There are many groves of trees within it, in the garden of the houses and many conduits of water which flow into the midst of it, and in places there are lakes and the king has close to his palace a palm grove and other rich-bearing fruit trees. Below the Moorish Quarter is a little river and on this side are many orchards and gardens with many fruit trees. For the most part, mangoes and areca palm and jack trees and also many lime and orange trees growing so closely one to another that it appears like a thick forest and there are also white grapes. All the water which is in the city comes from two tanks of which I have spoken outside the first enclosing wall. Now this was the letter by Domingo Pace. Moving on, the Tungubhadra river gathers momentum and glides along the hilly and rocky terrain of Hampi, speckled with medieval structures. These structures were both secular and religious in their function. The whole site is understood in four divisions and functions, which are the sacred center, the intermediate irrigated valley, the urban core and the suburban center. The largest temples, shrines, inscriptions, and sculptures are to be found in the sacred center. The irrigated valley was used for agricultural purposes. Now, this stretch of land is the only land that does not have as many structures and materials excavated, but the soil is a documentation of agricultural practices itself. The urban core covers the hilly landscape with fortifications and gateways. It was here that most of the population lived. The suburban centre was also a residential area, speckled with shrines, temples and sculptures. The Vijayanagara Empire was a Hindu imperial state, with its capital situated in modern-day Hampi in Karnataka. Hampi derives its name from the local indigenous goddess Pampa. This is where the mythological understanding of Hampi twists and turns and subconsciously becomes Vedic. I say this because Pampa is known to be the consort of Virupaksha, who is a form of Shiva. The said Sanskritization of Hampi's local culture also hints at Pampa being Sati or Parvati in some belief systems. The Virupaksha temple or the Pampapati temple is one of the main attractions in Hampi. It is considered both a Shaivite and a Vaishnavite temple, for the temple also has enshrined Vishnu sculpture while the wall carvings tell the stories of Ramayana and Mahabharata. In fact, there are many temples and religious sites that are both Shaivite and Vaishnavite. The Vishnu cults came into prominence much after the Shiva cults. Even in the presence of the strong Vaishnavite practices and patronage that took to fashion in the later stages of the Vijayanagara Empire, the site remained an intrinsic hub of Shiva cults, even today. The area by and large also marked as erstwhile Kishkinda, the birthplace of the monkey god Hanuman, and the imperial ground of monkey king brothers, Vali and Sugriv. On her way to Lanka, while being abducted by Ravan, Sita dropped her ornaments here, leaving trails for Ram to find. The cave where Bali and Sugriv fought is said to be here. The said site now serves as a temple or a shrine a few steps uphill the Hanuman temple. In many shrines and temples, there is an active merging of Shaivite and Vaishnavite traditions. There is an active Hanuman cult here as well. These temples host some fabulous sculptures and fresco paintings as well. Virupaksha temple itself hosts frescoes, like the dasha fresco on the ceiling of Virupaksha temple. It shows the ten incarnations of Vishnu. Each avatar appears in chronological order in singular frames. This particular theme follows a matrimonial theme of swayamvars of Draupadi and Sita and the wedding of Sita and Ram. There is also Girija Kalyana fresco on the ceiling of the Rang Mandapa of the Virupaksha temple. The whole episode is divided into a matrix of rectangular frames. Each frame depicts the proceedings and visitors of the wedding of Shiva and Parvati. Girija Kalyan is an epic poem written by Harihara. He was an ancient Kannada poet, who was essentially a Shaivite. Attending the illustrated wedding are the important Hindu gods and devas and devis, mythical creatures and celestial beings like the Yakshas and Yakshis, sages and Parvati's parents. Each character can be identified by their specific iconography along with the mythical representations of horse, lion and elephant. The different kinds of visitors to the wedding take into account a sense of different spaces such as heaven, forest, mountains, and city through the presence of these people who are visiting, who basically dwell in each of these spaces. One can see a multi-scenic, continuous style of narrative being employed by the Vijayanagara artists in these frescoes. The paintings were enthusiastically patronised by the kings and rulers of the Vijayanagara Empire. After the fall of the Vijayanagara Empire, the school of painting went on to influence the Mysore and Tanjore painting schools as the painters went to these places to find work and money. Apart from the religious temple architecture, there are also royal monuments such as the fortifications, the Queen's Bath, the Lotus Mahal for King Sarbar and the Elephant Stables. These buildings served different purposes, but largely followed an Indo-Islamic architectural style. One can say that the Persian style of architecture mixed with Indian motifs and elements was kind of a fashionable trend at that time, observed all over India. More or less, it was built to mark the excellence and magnificence and the grandeur of the royalty. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.